0: Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode twenty-six of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts Brian and Angelo. Now, Angelo, uh, in looking through uh, this week's outline, I've come to realize that this may be the most uh, capital S serious and capital P uh, personal uh, episode that we've done to date. Right? How do you how do you feel about this week's episode uh, in your mind as we're about to sort of get into it?
1: You're gonna you're making it sound like we're gonna reveal all about
0: ourselves. It's just more.
1: Uh how we feel about certain things, I guess. It's not, I don't know if I'd call it personal. I guess, yeah, it'll be our personal opinions about uh, the little topics we picked out. But uh, more personal is what happened to me today, Brian. So what happened to you today? I uh, increased my internet speed. I uh, had to take a day off from work while someone came to, um, basically, all he did really was just swap out the modem that was in my basement and uh now i have internet that's a good 20 something times faster than, no not 20 it's 20 times faster than yours that's what we determined but yes it's uh it's like five or six times faster than what i had before so um yeah it's it's not bad at all uh it's it's
0: quite nice how's your internet brian my internet's uh stable uh it's okay it's uh what well, you know it is what i pay for at the moment right so it's it's height it's all right i guess if i had to classify it um so do you have any plans for this newfound speed? like are you going to be twitch streaming like you know become a an internet personality? Well, we already are internet personalities, but uh no it's it's more just because
1: uh the promotion ended on the internet I had so i don't know how it works wherever whoever is listening is but uh here in in Quebec and most of Canada, you kind of have to wrangle with your uh internet service provider in my case phone and cable as well to kind of get the best deals. And this time of year, every year, I have to call them to kind of make sure all my ducks in a row so that I am saving money. Cause according to my bill, I'm saving like 80 bucks a month and there's no way I would pay $80 more a month. So the internet one came to an end this month. So what happened is the 30 uh, megabits per second that I was paying for previously um with unlimited bandwidth cuz here we get capped on our bandwidth. I don't know if you have a cap on yours.
0: Yeah, but it's astronomically
1: high. It's I think it's like 300 gigs for us. Oh, well, that's not astronomically high in my house. Uh the uh, mine was I think it was 150, but I paid for uh unlimited. That that was I think 10, dollars they kind of put it up to 12, but now if I were to sign again today, it's it's up to like 30 bucks more a month. Um although I do get other discounts on top of that. Anyway, all that to say is that the difference between 30 megs, uh, megabits per second versus 120 megabits per second was $3 a month because the 120 comes with unlimited included in the price. So that for that 3 bucks more a month, obviously it makes sense to get the modem swapped and get the 120 uh, down and 20 up. So yeah. Um, internet seems faster. I mean, just for everybody listening, uh, hot tech tip, you will not (laughs) notice, uh, much of a difference in terms of browsing. If you're using, uh, like even 10 uh, megabits per second, where I noticed the big difference. I downloaded a few songs, uh, from Apple music earlier and they downloaded really fast. Um, also uploading things will be a lot faster. Let's say I'm backing up photos and stuff. Um, that'll be a lot faster as well but um overall yeah it's uh it's a great uh little change but
0: um i feel like i'm dealing with a bit of a mr moneybags over here new phone last week new internet speeds this week what's next week uh i don't know that's my birthday next week
1: but uh no it's really more all of this is uh, not much more money per month if anything at all it's uh the phone was budgeted already so it's not no i'm not mr moneybags over here i'm not uh We're not uh, rich podcasters making money hand over fist with uh, Audible and Squarespace uh,
0: sponsorships. Although we're open to those. We're definitely open to those if you want to hit us up at DoubleDensityPodcast at gmail.com. We're willing to entertain any and almost all, I think, um, sponsorship uh, deals put on the table at this point, right? Of course. But, you know, that wasn't the... The 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 topic you were kind of alluding to
1: we that was just something that came up today and I just wanted to kind of talk about that. Uh, but these uh, new internet speeds I have will they lead to me and my family using our devices more? And that's kind of what we're uh, we want to talk about today. There was an article that we came across in the Guardian about our smartphone addictions essentially and we kind of wanted to talk about that because we have things to say about it don't we brian
0: i absolutely have a couple of things to say about it so the article is very very interesting so i think that you had first found it and and i I had read it a couple of times so it's an article um, by paul lewis in san francisco about how some of the people who helped create some of the um, most innovative and most widely used uh, facets of tech have sort of retreated from Um, using the tech that they've created for various reasons, most of them just, um, I think, simply due to burnout, right?
1: Yeah, they're all relatively young, um, and kind of pretty much almost all of them are retired from their tech side career to kind of have more of like a consulting thing, and a few of them are authors at this point talking about uh, the perils that our technology presents us with at this point.
0: Right, and just the the concept, right, of all these people who actually have um, placed apps that uh, block things like YouTube or Facebook or things like that um, for uh, either periods of time or other sort of like um, limiters, I guess would be the best uh, way of putting it, um, have sort of uh, become popularized, which I think is kind of interesting in the way that like a lot of these people like, for example, the engineer um, whose name I'm blanking on, uh, Justin Rosenstein, who uh, actually was behind the Facebook like button now, can't stand the idea of the Facebook like yeah, button. He,
1: the article starts with him, essentially, and uh, how that like button was invented to kind of get people to want to communicate more on Facebook because it was just an easy way of getting um, a pseudo comment on something that you posted. And uh, between you and me, when we get likes on either Instagram or Facebook, there is a little feeling you get. I kind of understand the psychology behind it, so I've kind of put it aside at this point. That I, I I ignore my my likes and stuff, but it's still, you know, when I post a picture of my of my kids, it's fun to get a like or a thumbs up. Or now there's all kinds of different things. There's happy faces and excited faces or whatever. Um, but then there's nothing like a great comment too. Of course, we always love seeing comments, and uh, kind of comes down to our, our podcast too, right? We we're we're podcasting, and we we like seeing when we uh, get extra downloads uh, from week to week, but. This guy literally invented the like button and he's kind of fed up of it at this point.
0: With that up i think is an understatement you know um when i think about posting content online i kind of feel like it's fishing right so the idea is that you cast your lure out and you see what you can catch and by that i mean you know you look for those other interactions and you see people who interact with whatever you posted either as you were saying through a like or actually like through a comment right so the idea that you're just sitting in your digital boat waiting for someone to come by and you know tug on the line as it were um through the form of uh, some kind of acknowledgement of what you said through you know a, a notification right
1: well yeah and also. So, for example, like with this podcast, if we when we go to iTunes to, and we see that somebody's actually written a review, that that's pretty exciting to us. It's it's almost an acknowledgement that the the work we're putting into what is basically a hobby for us um, means something to somebody else, and somebody else is getting something out of that. Uh, but do we become obsessed with this stuff? I know, I know I'm not checking that every day or every. I don't I, actually. I don't know the last time I checked uh, if there was any uh, actual reviews of our, our podcast. But uh, the thing is, is I try to make a conscious effort not to get pulled into that because I realize how easy it is to get sucked into that. Um, just by riding the train, I see how many people are just staring at their phones. But that's something that um, actually hasn't changed that much from even uh, decades
0: ago, but we'll get into that later. I definitely do believe that there's that, you know, that instant gratification and delayed data, gratification, you know, the idea that, you know, you, uh, you, you sit around waiting almost, right? Like you, you you're just hopeful that someone will, Reach out to you and interact with you in in different kinds of ways and I do think that like you're right It hasn't changed in some ways, but it definitely has changed in terms of the intensity in the relationship we have developed with these pieces of technology that you know, um while great to have at some points are extremely detrimental to the way we live like for example just anecdotally, I took a walk home um, this afternoon and I walked a couple of streets to get to the metro station and through there uh, on the street, um, two people almost bumped into me because they were so fixated on the device in their hand that they they didn't even bother looking up and seeing that there was another human being coming their way, right? And didn't bother reacting at all until almost the last second. And I just think like that's very emblematic of the kind of situation that we, we are currently involved in society, especially in the Western Hemisphere when, you know, we're tied to being up to date and up to the minute and, you know, want to be in the know and, you know, delivering our hot takes about xyz at you know every interval
1: yeah well it's it's something i've uh, i've always wanted to sort of see is the two people talking uh looking at their smartphone Mm -hmm. and sort of bump into each other on the street i've only seen it almost happen once but they one of them looked up at the last minute it would have been quite entertaining uh and if somebody would have been able to capture that on their own smartphone it would have been great um sort of like the mythical ufo the thing is is that even before smartphones i couldn't stand when people would be uh, getting off the the train or the bus or the metro and be uh, their head buried in a, in a in a paperback and just reading as they walked but the thing is, is that there weren't that many people that did it now the lure of everyone having a tablet or a phone or an iPad or whatever close at hand—you see that happening more often, where they're just staring down at their hand at the screen and walking. And now we're starting to sound like old men, not podcasters who have like a
0: tech show. But it's—it it is, yeah. But I also think this is needed too. I think like it's—it's it's all good fun, and I do agree that we both have a lot of fun um, talking about different you know, uh, tech news and things like that. But sometimes you got to get into that deeper conversation of, you know, where are we as people going with these things? And I think that like the article that you did link to has a lot of great anecdotes about whether or not, you know, tech is inherently good or bad, whether or not, you know, um, and how we came to be, right? Like, so the idea of the push notification on our phone, right. Letting us know instantly when someone has interacted with us and how that sort of impacts our expectations. And, you know, the article says that we look at our phone, you know, 2100 times a day, for different things you know on average like that's an insane amount of times to look at a phone
1: yeah because i bring that average down i definitely don't look at my phone that much Uh, at least that i know of it'd be fun to be able to see if there there must be an app for you to know how many times you've like unlocked your phone during the day um be interesting to know the thing is is with notifications i don't know about you but um one of the questions i wanted to ask you is uh how do you have your notifications set up? For example, myself, I have very few notifications coming through to me. Uh, Essentially, none go on my phone, and then the important ones go to my watch. So I only have notifications turned on for a few things. Obviously, if my phone rings, um, it'll it'll ring uh, if somebody calls me. And text messages, I have them that they go on my watch. Or if uh, on my phone, they're not even on my lock screen. Actually, the text messages—if somebody text messages me—and uh, my watch isn't on, it, the phone will, will, will beep, and I'll see a badge. And text messages are the only things I—I sa- I guess voicemail—but I think I've had three voicemails in the last uh, five years. Uh, but they're the only things that have a badge uh, icon on on uh, on the actual app icon. I hate those little red dots. I don't know about you, but they drive me insane. And I cannot. I have them turned off on pretty much everything except, like I said, the messages and on my calendar um, for if, uh, if my wife adds something to the family calendar. But even that, the calendar doesn't notify me. It's just the badge app uh, comes up. I can handle it on that because it's so rare, but at least I know it's there. But most notifications are turned off. So on my end, the other thing I have turned on, um, and mostly just because of the podcast, I have uh, Twitter notifications turned on if somebody retweets us or if somebody uh, adds us. And that's it. And a direct right. message, obviously. Right. But that's pretty much the only um, notifications I get. I have zero notifications for email. That's turned off completely. Email, I'll check it when I check it. Um, same thing for Slack, or um, any time a game asks me if it wants to turn, off notif- turn on notifications, nope. And that's the thing. <laughs> Most people turn that stuff on. I, when I, like, you know, the, the, my little hobby I have on the train where I kind of glance at people's screens. I guess that's an invasion of privacy, but not really. I'm not like reading their emails. I just kind of see what their home screen looks like. Angelo, amateur voyeur. Yeah, well, it's just the home screen. But I marvel at the amount of notifications people have i see red badge uh, icons on every app it, it's crazy yeah. how how do you deal with life like that it I would know. drive me insane to see those things i guess i have ocd i don't know the, one of the funniest things is um in marco armet's overcast app there's a setting okay uh, i'm going to it now but it's uh he has if he has like um for the the new uh, for downloads something like if you turn on the, the 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 badge uh the here it's like icon badge number show the number of unfinished episodes on overcast icon to add stress to your life that's literally what the what it says
0: it's a perfect it way you saying it really so for me what happens on my phone is that i have um messages emails and Um, uh, phone calls, things that I missed voicemail on my lock screen. Apart from that, I don't care, right? So for example, I have notifications turned off for Facebook Messenger. I don't have the actual Facebook app. Same thing for Instagram. I have that turned off. Um, Most other services right now i have turned off. And let me tell you something uh, that I've been doing since I've started my new job. I actually uh, go on Do Not Disturb for most of the day on my phone. Oh, that's great. That's that's actually really
1: smart because it nobody bothers you and the thing is what's nice with do not disturb is that you can actually have it set so that if somebody is really trying to get through to you their messages and their phone calls will come through so you can i exactly i'm assuming you have your girlfriend set up to like if she messages you it comes through
0: yeah, I have a list of um, seven or eight phone like uh, phone numbers that obviously you know if they are to reach out to me then you know it's a, it's a different story but yeah um, by and large if you need to call me and leave me a message then it's important enough to leave a message then please do apart from that I don't really care at this point it's actually it's been a really interesting little experiment because I've I've noticed that I tend to just use my phone as a music player during the day not necessarily as a uh, a, a messenger of sorts I guess uh, would be the best way of putting it because I find that it helps me just live in the moment a little bit more and not feel like I'm being guided throughout my day by this um, smartphone at my side.
1: Well, fun fact, Brian had me on that list of messages that got through until I got an iPhone a couple of weeks ago on new iPhone, <laughs> and then I incessantly kept sending him messages. Straight through, straight uh, out. Then after a week, he turned it back on, and then they turned it off again because I kept sending in
0: screenshots of my awesome speed test results. There were two at least, so yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the article also raises a lot of like different questions in terms of like, so... You know, I remember one summer when I was 13 or 14, I didn't, I quit the internet basically. Like I walked away, you know, this was like 2000, 2001 maybe.
1: Yeah. I quit the internet too when I was 13, 14 because it didn't exist (laughs) or at least didn't exist as we know it.
0: I feel like, uh, there's a little bit of ageism creeping into this, uh, the story here, but that's okay. We'll, we'll survive here. We're going to cover that too. Uh, but yeah, like the, the big thing too is just, you know, I was able to, you know, check my email once a week, not really care about the internet in ways that, you know, you're forced to care about now pretty much, right? Cause everything happens in this space. Um, you know, uh, trying to live your, your real life, uh, offline can be quite difficult when everyone else around you is so connected, right?
1: Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's, um, I find it interesting when people send me messages, um, for example, through Facebook. I've mentioned it before. I'm not a huge Facebook fan. I don't have the app on my phone. I don't even have the messenger uh, on my phone. And people will send me a message through that. I said, well, if you really need to get in touch with me, you have my phone number. You call me. Uh, Like if if you're a time traveler from 1995, you can call me. Or, uh, you can send me a text message. That's the best way to get in contact with him because the text message will come through or send me an email, but don't send me a message through Facebook. Unfortunately, I'll often miss it because I, I go on Facebook maybe two or three times a week, if that. Um, but actually I've been going more often lately because I joined a few, um, podcasting groups, um, cause they're, they're interesting, but, um, I don't really use Facebook that often. Uh, I'm it's it's not it, i definitely don't use messenger have you noticed uh every time you message a new person or something they'll send you something like you're now connected on messenger
0: I find. yes which is super annoying because yeah, yeah it, it basically you think that someone has messaged you, but it turns out it's just a notification saying that you're now connected to x y and z which is kind of a misnomer and obviously they want you to start talking to the person and you know to have them uh, interact with you in Facebook Messenger instead of, you know, uh, through text message or the like. So, yeah, I, I, it is oh, another way of trying to get you to buy into whatever they're trying to use. Uh,
1: also, an extension of Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, I find them irritating that whenever I go into the app, and I, I actually like Instagram. That's actually one of my favorite apps to to peruse and post pictures, and uh, it's it's pretty great. It's like one of the, a lot of people have said it's one of the happier uh, social media um, things because it's usually you, you follow people you like and people who like you follow you and it's all great. But one of the worst things is whenever I get notifications on it, um obviously they're off, but if I go and look at the little hearts, there's a little banner at the top saying, hey, you really should turn on notifications if you want us to bother you.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely one of the downsides of Instagram. And I think to just to rebut your point before about um instagram being one of the happier things i've also read that you know societally like instagram is one of the uh, worst apps that one can use because the idea is that you're uh, all these users are idealizing their lives right so they're not showing the unfortunate parts of their lives unless it's for clickbait or things like that but they they try to sort of uh, mold an online persona that it fits into a certain way right where you post things that are on brand to yourself um and so in that way like instagram is like don't get me wrong i love perusing instagram but at the same time I also keep in mind that like this is not you know an accurate representation of someone's life either necessarily, right? Which a lot of people make the mistake of these days.
1: Oh, see I hear I thought everybody I knew was constantly working out and eating amazing food (laughs) Oh and seeing the best beaches. Don't forget about the beaches I'm guilty of I I, uh, actually that's one thing. I never post pictures of workouts and uh, I rarely post pictures of food It's mostly um, I, I actually post a lot of pictures of clouds and mountains and sunrises because I see those on the way to the train and family
0: and my family yeah
1: yeah yeah so so uh, if anybody is this like a uh, weird
0: place to to plug your Instagram feed of mine too like is like is it kind of counterintuitive to what rubs you right now well I'm the one who said it's happier the one who's like uh, was like Debbie it. Downing it yeah if you want to hit us up uh, <laughs> if you want to follow us on Instagram I am Brian MTL with an I so B R I and M T L and Angelo it's yours I think it's Angelo Fioren but I, I always there forget what my handles are.
1: Guys, easiest way, just go to uh, doubledensity.net and uh, you see our happy little pictures there. Uh, click on one of them and you'll see um, where our Instagram and actually our other social media things are.
0: Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Entity. So here's a question for you. I mean, the, the fact that, you know, you were just saying that you post pictures of clouds and things and you often regularly post pictures of your kids, right? And like, how do you envision the world that they're going to step into, you know, 15, 20 years from now when they're um, out of their teens into their early 20s? You know, are they still tied to their smartphones? You know, what AR devices are they using? Like, you know, where's this going? Because really, like, you and I are the last generation of people who remember a time without constant interactivity through um, technology, really, so if anything's
1: so what, they're gonna go to high school like twenty years after me. And if anything's as different as it is now, so but they're still my daughter's still like a few years away from high school. Um, I can't imagine what what kind of technology they'll have then. Um the iPhone XX. No, not that's not yet, but um <laughs> I mean she technically has her, her own little iPhone now that has no SIM card in it. Um, But I don't really let her text her friends and stuff. But the thing is, is that kids now are a little more understanding of things. They kind of see the world in a better way. Um, But they also, it's easier for them to be harassed by their friends, either in good or bad ways. Uh, But what I mean by good harassment is like, you know, just uh, fun ribbing or whatever. But I kind of was thinking of this when last week I watched American Vandal on Netflix. And it kind of gives you a, a view of what high school is like now, where everybody's on YouTube and Instagram, and like, oh, he has like four hundred f- followers on Instagram. One of the uh, one of the things of the, the the documentary. Well, it's a fake documentary, obviously, but uh, and I highly recommend it. I don't know if you liked it, Brian,
0: but I really enjoyed it. Although um, I think you had mentioned to me that you found it laggy in the middle, sort of. Yeah, I kind of find it drag, and I I totally get the you know that you need to sort of progress the story in different ways. So yeah, unfortunately, like I enjoyed the first two episodes immensely, and the last two, a lot. But I I, I feel like yeah, in the middle there was a bit of a a, a lag there. But I mean that's kind of uh, to be expected with a miniseries like that, right? Yeah,
1: but that that and that's that's besides the point. But definitely go watch it. But still, in in uh, in one of those boringer episodes that you 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 said, um, one of the kids becomes more popular for something and. Uh, They kind of judged his popularity about how his Instagram followers went from like 60 to 400. And that's how many followers you have now is probably um, an indicator of how popular you are at school. So like there's the poor sad kid with like six followers on Twitter. And there's like the popular kids who have like 300 or 400 of the whole school following them. So it's kind of easier to um, judge your own popularity uh, for better or for worse, unfortunately, now uh, when you're in high school, I guess. But we're not experts in that. And um, I mean, I kind of see kids coming from high school because of where I work uh, and um, the way they uh, deal with social media and how, how they deal with technology. One of the things that drives me crazy is that I don't know what people have against it, but they can't forward emails. They take screenshots of emails and then send me the screenshot.
0: Does that make sense to you? Which, of course, is of no good to you most of the time.
1: Well, yeah, like, let's say as an example, I need proof of something, right? So forward me the email with all the headers in it. Why would you, in your right mind, take a screenshot of that email on your phone and then have to take five or six screenshots because it's a long email instead of just forwarding it to me? how does that make sense in someone's mind?
0: It's a very good question. Yeah.
1: And this is not just, Oh, well one guy didn't understand that he No, this is a huge percentage of people and it's all people of a certain age. That skew younger, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. And this is again, what we're going to go talk about a little bit later, but uh, yeah, it's just, you see the difference between generation.
0: I think one of the bigger things too, is just uh, going forward. And the reason why I asked like how you envision this sort of, Um, future with your kids and the next generation too is that like we're already distracted right like we're constantly distracted when i go to bed at night i know my phone's over there and i feel like it's an entity that i am um unfortunately uh, tied to right so i feel like it's only going to get worse and worse as a society in terms of you know our attachment to these objects and how we let them dictate our day-to-day lives in a lot of ways
1: yeah and and that's the crux of this article is how these people that invented a lot of these technologies are trying to like break it at this point before it gets too much and for a lot of people they're too far gone there's people that um, I'm sure there's people you know and that I know uh, that are just constantly on their phone and I think like at a certain point you were kind of falling into that trap and you kind of like reeled yourself back in from what I understand
0: yeah exactly I, I just I found my days sort of being like wrapped up in the idea that like I live my life in this very tiny screen and so it, I sort of let it dictate um, the rest of my days in a lot of ways, right? So, unfortunately, like, it became really um, problematic because, like, you know, you can't live that sort of unperturbed life as much if you spend all of your time fussing and obsessing over the goings and comings of people digitally.
1: Yeah, I, I try not to um, use it, uh, especially if, like, at in the evening when I'm home. I, I don't really use my phone at home, actually. If I'm at home, I'll go on my Mac or my on my iPad. Um, but when, when I'm with the kids, like... Sometimes I, I, I'll have had my phone in my pocket and I'll, I'll, I'll pull it out while I'm watching uh, or watching something on TV, like with the kids. That's not interesting to me. And my son will say, hey, why you have your phone out? And I'll put it back. I'll put it away and I'll actually get up and put it on, a de- on the desk and go back and sit down because I, I, he's right. I don't need to be on the phone. And I try not to, to use it too often. I really don't. But it's, it's surprising to them when I do actually use the phone. So I again, it's something that's important to me to to kind of really make sure I'm not on. And we don't want to be preachy either. Like people are going to turn off our podcast. No, we're 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 very enthusiastic about technology. It's just this article is a real eye opener if you go ahead and read it because it is. It's not it's not doom and gloom, but people can easily become addicted to these things. It's just even something as simple as like you know those phantom uh, feelings of when you think you're getting like a a message and you get like a fake
0: vibration in your pocket. I I think at the end of the day, the big thing is just like self responsibility, right? Like it can, and is an addiction for a lot of people. And it's just, it, you have to address the ways in which you interact with, um, the world around you specifically. I just mean in terms of like a smartphone, right? So the idea of just being like, Hey, I can wait, you know, is not something that exists a lot of people's vocabulary these days.
1: Yeah. That's something I've actually really, um, it's been at least three or four years since essentially since I got an iPhone or even at the point of between like the four and the five S that I got, I realized, you know what? I don't need to be on this thing all the time. I try, I try to really limit it. The thing is, I, I guess I am on the phone all day because I am listening to either music or podcasts all day, but I'm not actively looking at the screen too much. Um, and definitely never when I'm walking, like if somebody, somebody sends me a text message as I'm walking and it has to be answered right away, well, I'll step aside and not actually type it as I'm walking. And that's something, it's one of my biggest pet peeves if I see somebody just walking and not staring, uh, and not actually looking up and just staring at their phone. And, I, and I'm often downtown, so there's a lot of people, and a lot of people just do this in the middle of the street, and nobody really pays attention. And um again like we feel like we should like be sitting on our lawn screaming at the kids to get off of it but it is again something that needs to be said at least i feel like we need to say it
0: a double density psa don't you dare copy that floppy nor copy it who cares double density Scientific American recently published a uh, whole article called Which Sounds Better, Analog or Digital Music? So this was posted a couple of days ago and written by Katrina Morgan and it actually raised the interesting question of, you know, what is better, the um, sound you get from a record player, right? Because over the last, like, decade or so, there has been a resurgence in uh, uh, collecting and playing vinyl or, you know, what's, you know, or is its digital equivalent sounding uh, better to the ear? Um, and so it kind of goes into sort of a... Um, a theoretic i guess would be the best way of putting it in framework in terms of like trying to justify you know which is the better sound and it's funny something like this sort of breaks the cycle
1: of how um the past is is always inferior to the future because it's not just old people wanting to listen to analog music and thinking it's better it's it's young people it's it's a, it's considered a hipster type thing that they say oh, analog is better than than Uh, digital like I mean even somebody like Jack White uh, he's um, I always want to say Jack Black uh, but Jack White has released stuff on vinyl and he often releases it first there's did you ever see that really is his LP that he released where the center of it becomes a hologram when it's while it's spinning it's quite interesting yeah
0: um, so Jack White and Third Man Records do a lot of really really cool stuff I don't know if you've and he has a very interesting aesthetic to himself right so yeah he hates digital yeah, and I think there's a lot of value in what he uh, does say, but I think that, like a larger fallacy that sort of needs to be talked about too is that a lot of the vinyl that gets created now is based off of a digital file, right? Yeah, unless you're Jack White, uh, he he records
1: all analog as well. He's he was I remember seeing an interview with him on Conan, and he was very proud of the fact that his latest album, that album that I was talking about, I'll, I can't remember what the title of it um, was. It Blunderbuss. Blunderbuss. Yeah, that's it. That's a great album, by the way. And he he was talking about how it was all done analog, and he's very proud of that. It was kind of really interesting to ever see. If you ever saw uh, this, might get
0: loud, where it's him, Jimmy yeah. Page, and the and the Edge. Where, that classic first scene where he's you know, creating a guitar out of nothing, essentially, which is just super fascinating to watch. And then it goes to the polar opposite of The Edge, where he's all digital and right. he does all... He th- plays that riff off, off of U2's Elevation without all the sound effects, and literally all it is is him sliding his fingers up and down, playing two chords over and over again. Yeah,
1: and, and that's not to take anything away from him, because actually a really talented guitarist, and he's really creative and really intelligent when it comes to that stuff. It's just a huge difference between him and Jack Black. And then Jimmy Page is somewhere in the middle because he was like an innovator of, of actually layering tracks upon tracks when it came to um, doing the Led Zeppelin stuff. Um, but this is, again, something that is interesting in that where it's kind of a mix of people. It's not just old people wanting to go back to vinyl and relive their youth. There's some people um, our age and younger that swear by it. Personally, I just like the, the convenience of uh, a subscription service i i have no inkling of any interest of pulling out a vinyl um d- uh, record and playing it other than just like a novelty thing
0: but I on the other hand uh, feel the exact opposite from you like while I do love a streaming service like Spotify There's you know that that whole ritual that people often talk about about pulling out the record and putting on the side A and knowing that you have 20 minutes before side B and sort of getting into it and, and sort of immersing yourself physically I think is a very important part of um, listening to music. That you don't necessarily get So I have certain friends who've never bought physical copies of albums before right they previously um, During their younger years would pirate and now they have a streaming service so they don't get the full breadth of um, immersing yourself in that way either. Right. So I, I, I do slightly tend to go towards, um, physical mediums like vinyl, right. I have probably, I'd say probably 200, 250 albums, um, stored away at the moment. But, uh, yeah, I definitely do feel like it's, um, more of a positive experience in, in terms of immersiveness. So I'm kind of in between then because I often feel like when I'm using Apple
1: music, I'm using it wrong. And the reason I say that is because I don't really listen to playlists unless I'm like exercising or something. I am one of those people, call me crazy, but I like to listen to albums. And I know you feel the same way as me when it comes to this. Um, At least I I think the last time.
0: I absolutely am an album person.
1: Yeah, I love albums. I like listening to albums. Maybe sometimes I'll get crazy and I'll shuffle the album like a crazy person. But I often just pick an album and listen to that. Um, I don't know why. It's just I guess it's because I bought a lot of albums in my life. I my I mean my CD collection at one point was five or six hundred CDs. Um and uh kind of feel bad that they're just hunks of plastic now right now under my stairs in the basement. But they're essentially useless at this point to me because they're digital as well. Um I'd be hard pressed to find a difference in sound for my ear between a CD and something off of Apple Music. Yes, I understand it's not the same quality. If you're crazy
0: and you can actually hear that, um, great, good for you but I'm not an audiophile. But that's a minority of people though too, right? Like, you know, by and large a lot of people like a lot of time has been spent doing these listener tests and people can't tell after a certain point, it's usually in between um, you know, 160 and 192 kbps mp3s of or even variable bitrates uh sort of like a, on the mid end and actually listening to a CD quality thing, they can't tell the difference a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, and look, and then there's some people that really don't care and they'll just like listen to a crappy version that's on a uh, YouTube or something, but uh Look, I like my music to sound good. Obviously, um, I do prefer it sounding properly. Uh, remember uh, back in the day when you used to get stuff off LimeWire or Kazaa or whatever, and that sounded like garbage or stuff like uh, stuff off Napster that was completely and incorrectly labeled. That used to drive me crazy. There's so many songs out there that people think are from one artist, but are completely wrong because they th- it was mislabeled on Napster and that propagated everywhere. I don't know if you know of any songs
0: like that, but I'm sure there are a few. Oh, there's a ton that I've been trying to track down because they're unknown artists, mislabeled as other artists, and I've never been able to find a certain amount of songs. There's two or three in particular that I, I've never been able to figure out that's kind of always bothered me. Well, there was actually one. It was, um, uh,
1: what's his name? Kid, Kid Cudi? Kid, it was a song that you thought it was Lana Del Rey singing on it, and it really wasn't.
0: Oh, it was School by Q. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was Lana Del Rey, right? But it was um,
1: Oh, no, yeah, and it was a, a Lissy version of a, of a song by Kid Cudi. Or right, like that. that's what it was in
0: the end. Yeah, it yes. sounded like her. Yeah, and
1: it was, but it, and then I had to I tracked down that song because I really liked it, and then I discovered that artist on uh, her, not not Kid Cudi, um, and I, I really liked their music. She's like kind of weird, like country rock type of thing. But anyway, okay. that's besides the point. But that's something that was mislabeled. Like I think even I think you bought it off iTunes or something. It was mislabeled on iTunes, but um. Y- yeah, that was kind of, yeah, exactly.
0: I think it was, yeah, no, I think it was an advanced copy that i got gotten somehow. And yet, unfortunately was mislabeled, but it was mislabeled by someone, you know, who had to be in the know of what it was right too. So that's kind of uh, a bit of a problem. Uh question for you. When is the last time you actually read liner notes? Oh man. Sad, eh? Uh, I, I, I don't remember.
1: I do not remember because they really don't exist anymore. I guess it would have, I bought a few albums off iTunes um, that came with the liner notes. I think it was a a Tegan and Sarah album. I think it was the con, and that's like 10 years old at this point. Whoa, okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little while ago. Yeah, so that's because yeah, all my music for a while I wasn't listening to that much new music uh, and then everything else like anything else I bought off iTunes often didn't come with the liner notes. So yeah, I really have, and I used used to love it. I remember reading, I would buy a new CD, put it into my CD player, sit on my bed, and just follow along with the liner notes and read them. I remember doing that with Jagged Little Pill, which is, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, it's my favorite album of all time. I I can't remember, I can't even know how many times I've listened to that um, album, but
0: yeah uh, see uh, so jagged little pills is actually one of the two albums um that i wore out to the point where the cd couldn't the laser couldn't read the cd anymore the other <laughs> one being uh our lady Peace is clumsy oh um, yeah i played those two so much
1: interestingly enough the first time i saw alanis morissette in concert uh our lady piece opened for them for her oh,
0: there you go we've closed yeah. the circle on that one uh so hey listeners let us know like you know like both in terms of music listening habits where you have been uh, recently are you an analog or a digital person do you enjoy sitting down listening to things or would you rather take your music on the go and i think we for, also forgot to mention we want to hear uh, about your internet habits too and how um you go about your day and how you have you consciously thought about how you shaped sort of maybe a protocol by which you uh interact with your smartphone or tablet device or laptop etc cetera, etc cetera? you know do you feel like there needs to be um, more of a discussion uh, in terms of uh, the way in which we act uh the, the immediacy of uh, connectivity I guess would be the best way of putting it of um, the expectation that everyone wants to talk to you um, right here and right now not in an hour not in a day so let us know what you think you can do so by hitting us up on Twitter double underscore density you can also go find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash double density podcast and on Instagram double density podcast also as Angela was mentioning before you can also find our website double density dot net you can go ahead and click on the blog Angela has a brand new blog up about the new iPhone you can also hit contact and let us know what you think we'd love to hear from you and and just to to finish it
1: up i I'll finish it off. I just want to say that I think there's a happy medium between the two. You don't want to be uh, a complete like off the grid type person, but you also don't always want to just be staring at your phone every waking moment um there's there's definitely a happy medium i think i'm I'm finding my way towards it sometimes um Obviously, I'll get distracted with my phone, but um, I also don't want to get too preachy about it either uh, and how uh, phones are like the downfall of society. They're not. It's it's actually really great. It's just we have to use this stuff properly. But the one takeaway uh, I want to have for, for many but for everyone is that we have to understand that technology moves forward and we can't just keep thinking that every new thing is going to be the downfall of society because we've always thought that and we've
0: always been wrong. So, well, I mean, starting with the idea of fire being the downfall of yeah. society uh, onwards and upwards, I definitely think that you are right in terms of, you know, we can't be a uh, doom series, but we also can't be naive to the way in which things uh, affect us in the here and now and, you know, yesterday and tomorrow and in the immediate future and past. Well, yeah. And like, look, people thought at one point thought, uh, Music was the downfall of society, you know,
1: like how we're, we're listening to rock music and how it's terrible. And now rock music is, is classic. And then uh, rap became the, it was going to be the downfall of society. And now it's, it's completely mainstream and it's the, and it's, it's a, there's amazing artists coming out of there and uh, you know,
0: Justin Bieber is going to be the downfall of society. With that being said, uh, get ready for Angelo's debut (laughs) mixtape. the iphone xxx out next spring i do actually
1: have a few songs that i recorded years ago on on soundcloud somewhere if anybody wants to do
0: some sleuthing and finding it i'm not going to be posting them though although i think they're pretty good i don't know so there you go internet yeah i have we have launched uh, a sort of scavenger hunt go out and find angelo's music and if not you can always just hit me up on twitter i'll probably find the link in a matter of minutes really thanks brian (laughs) you're the best all right let's head into the paranormal then Double Density presents The Three Titans Double density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. And so uh, let's get thing like one thing out of the way, right? So we're trying to step away from UFO lore. And a couple episodes ago, we, we discussed how we want to cover more ground in terms of general paranormal topics. But dang it, the, like, this kind of news refuses to let us like move away from it, right? So originally, we were going to cover lake monsters, <laughs> lake uh, which monsters. we've mentioned, I think, for like four episodes now. Until we began seeing reports late last week of a new venture appearing on the horizon, right? So... Uh, rocker Tom DeLonge, most well known for his guitar duties in bands like Blink One and being the master behind behind the band Angels and Airwaves, announced the to the to the stars Academy of Arts in Science.
1: Yeah, so now like we didn't cover it right away when the, the when the event happened. Where we've let the dust settle, we've kind of thought about it. Uh, I watched the event after the fact. I know Brian watched it live because he's a trooper. Um, oh, it was thrilling. I waited, and I'm glad I waited because uh, it was it was a little brutal. But uh, yeah, so we've the dust has settled on this. People have been talking about it, and we finally decided to talk about it on the show. And again, sorry, Lake Monsters, you're becoming the new rods. Uh, <laughs> we've kind of bumped them, but we'll talk about them soon enough. But
0: I know Brian has a lot to say about this, so uh, take it away. Let's get into this. So Tom DeLong has long been promising some kind of announcement, right? So ever since, uh, he's been sort of interested um, in UFOs for a long time now. Like, uh, you know, if you look at their the blink Two album, End of the State, there's songs about UFOs on there, you know? So he's always had a passing kind of interest in a lot of things that has sort of been amplified in the last couple of years. And, you know, uh, with the John Podesta email dumps that happened, um, a lot of people got to see Tom DeLong emailing John Podesta about, you know, disclosure, the big D. Um, so he's been sharing, uh, so Tom has been sharing information of potential revelations through a social media account for months now, right? So in May, he, uh, set himself up with a 60 day window for a big announcement. And then it kind of went quiet for a while, uh, until last week when more trickled out that there'd be a press conference on the Wednesday, right? So the Huffington Post article by Leslie Keen appeared on Wednesday morning, detailing a lot of revelations to come and sort of going through some of the players involved in this. And so, you know, the big moment comes, it hits noon, there's a 40 minute presentation Um, narrated, sort of hosted by a sort of uh, bloated and sweaty looking Tom DeLonge. Right, Angelo?
1: It was actually sort of shocking to see him uh, looking like that. His his suit was a little fitting. Um, He got more comfortable as the event went on, though, I have to say. But um, yeah, it definitely
0: wasn't uh, an Apple keynote, that's for sure. Yeah, it was definitely not of the same caliber and oddly enough incidentally Facebook had gone down just after noon So a lot of people were trying to watch through Facebook live were not able to I'm not suggesting that it is a conspiracy, but there is a bit of a correlation uh, going on there, right? They took over <laughs> So like I was saying it was 40 minutes in length And it gave a rundown of the activities that the to the, Star, to the stars academy of arts and science was getting her into right and So it's abbreviated to ttsaas um, so i will get to sort of that in a minute. I just wanted to note that I refuse to use those abbreviations provided because when they, you look at them spelled out, they kind of look like, um, really, uh, dirty words for anatoma, anatomical parts that you'd use if you were like a, a teenager. So I, I feel like I don't want to use those. So I'm just going to say to the stars from here on out to, to discuss the Academy. Cause I know that he also has the, to the stars, um, brand of clothing and things like that, which is a little bit separate from this. So he trots out these cast of characters, right? So, um, some former DOD people, uh, former CIA people, some scientists, Uh, Chris Mellon launches into that infamous or uh, famous USS Nimitz story where they see a uh, featureless, you know, white object floating through the sky. Um, And we'll include a show, uh, we'll include a link in the show notes about a more detailed um, sort of uh, description of the events that took place, right? So uh the two the stars people want to launch an operation with three distinct arms science aerospace and entertainment so on the science side of the things they want to look at things like esp whatever uh engineering uh <laughs> through space and time uh uh you know things like telepathy right so and uh, when we had rob on we were making jokes about how um certain people use ufos and certain people now use uaps so the two of the stars people are definitely uaps people right because um, these in a lot of their documentation on their website. So apart from that, they're also looking at aerospace, which is, you know, electrogravitic propulsion and beamed energy launch systems. So basically what that means is that they want to take a bunch of lasers and shoot satellites out into space using these lasers. And also they want to build uh, anti-gravity um, modes of transport, you know, just a- FYI, BTW. And then um, where their bread and butter will probably lie from here on out is the entertainment arm, right? So they want to do feature length uh, movies. They want to do uh, TV series. They want to get to publishing. They also want to get into, well, they're already doing publishing, right? So Tom DeLong has written a quote unquote nonfiction book. He's writing some fiction stuff with a bunch of co-authors, and they also want to get into novelties, which they're already doing with the to the stars stuff. It sounds all very Greer like to me, actually. Well, that's one of the points I'm gonna get into like later on about
1: because I mean Steven Greer has a few movies out. He's tried a few TV shows. Um he's always on uh, and and again, like uh, I'm sure you'll mention it later, but this reminded me of that whole press club thing that Greer had a few years ago about disclosure that went absolutely nowhere. Um something I, I noted when I was when he was talking about these people he was trotting out he kept talking about how uh, they ended their career literally days ago. He said that for a few of them. Like they just finished their career here and there. It's like, what? where did he find these guys? Did they, so I guess they quit to join this uh, lucrative venture with him uh, to start his entertainment wing and his whole um, aerospace thing. The other thing I found funny was like he kind of showed a, a weird schematic of yeah. what this... Uh, anti-gravity machine will look like yeah this ship will look like uh very very strange uh yeah and so and the thing is something he one of the other ones said uh i think it was chris mellon he called the the ufo or uap whatever a secret machine is that a new thing and do we have to spell it with a k like he does in uh on his book
0: i refuse to i refuse to um, a lot of this stuff, I mean, from the outset, right? If you're an outsider, it seems very interesting, seems very in- innovative, uh, and perhaps even a little revolutionary. Like, if you're willing to allow that sort of thought to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, some quick digging, however, reveals that this is just a straight-up crash, uh, like a cash grab with a new coat of paint, right? So um, we're going to include a link in the show notes to a great article that uh, Jason Colavito wrote about um, the filing that happened uh, in terms of documentation for To the Stars, right? So he did some heavy lifting, and uh, so if you go the, to the To the Stars Academy website right now, you can become a partner, quote-unquote, for 200 bucks, American, right? So the idea is that you're buying 40 shares at 5 bucks per Um, so the filing that happened, um Positions this as a for-profit venture not a non-profit venture, right? So this is a business entity and it's using disclosure as the crux of its activities, right? So uh, something really interesting that he found in the documentation is that Tom DeLong is guaranteed ten A hundred thousand dollars a year to be paid, right? So that's a kind of like a decent cushion frame for all of his work undertaken And I know that he definitely has made a lot more money uh, being in blink Two in the past But that's definitely still not something to sneeze at as a baseline. Yeah, he's, a, he's it's like a salary He's getting and it's, it's just the base thing. He's gonna be
1: making more money off what whatever other ventures he does through this with his entertainment wing as well. So he's going to, if he's, obviously his books are going to be selling, that's not part of the 100,000 he's getting paid. It's just a base salary as him as what, is he considered the CEO or the president of it or something? He's at the top. He's yeah part exactly of the executive, right? Exactly. Uh, it's, it's all very, very um, strange. And most people from the comments I've seen about this are that it's a cash grab and kind of you sort of got into a Twitter fight with somebody yeah. uh, the day of the <laughs> event. It was, uh, it was a while ago now, but uh, it was really funny that you kind of joked with Rob, our buddy
0: Rob, um, about um, paying into it. And yeah, I made the joke of saying like this is like a real life Xavier school for the gifted rather really. like, You know the the place where the x-men go to train and this dude took all of our comments at face value Yeah, um, so it was really easy to troll him um, so rob and I did that for a while and then Finally we were like hey by the way like this isn't real at all and like you're butting into a conversation You have no idea who we are and he just he kind of went nuts and muted us Yeah, that was really funny too because I suggested
1: hey you know, like we, we kind of like talk about this stuff, go listen to our podcast.
0: He didn't really appreciate that. He did not know, but the, the, I mean, that's the whole nature of Twitter, right? You just, you kind of butt in on the conversations that you want to button into because Robin and I are having just a grand old time discussing how insanely crazy this was through very sarcastic ways, which to anyone else who knows us would see this very clearly as being, you know, not serious. Cause I'm definitely not giving Tom Delong any money at all ever. These five experts, one of them apparently
1: was, uh, was it Carl Putoff or whatever his name is. He yeah, he was Dr. like Carl. the head of the psychic sc- spy program. Is that actual real thing? It sounds made up.
0: I mean, a lot of these credentials are kind of a little bit hard to prove, right? Especially when you go into black budget stuff in Skunk Works. So, you know, I'm willing to maybe agree that perhaps he had a title like that, but who knows what his day-to-day looked like. It'd be kind of interesting to find out what it used to be, if he can talk about it, you know, without sort of violating any sort of um, contracts or anything that he did sign prior to leaving, right? Right. Um, but getting back to the sort of like the larger narrative hand, right? I think that the notion of disclosure has been talked about before on this podcast. We definitely have mentioned it. We sneered names like Stephen Greer, like you were just saying, for making a career out of the promise that full revelations are always around the corner. I feel like perhaps at one point for a lot of these folks, it went from like this naive belief that we'd be able to achieve the great feat of bringing as much evidence as possible, you know, verified through official channels of complex beings existing within this universe to quickly realizing that there's a lot of money behind this, right? And creating a successful business model in just around the corner disclosure
1: yeah i don't know if that's ever going to happen and i think they're just they're kind of just preaching to the choir of the people that follow stephen greer and want this disclosure to happen and think it's going to happen and think there's something that can happen but it's just uh, this really seems like a cash grab especially at one point i think it was the skunkworks guy talking about crowd crunching data um, and of course, they're going to have their own app uh, so that it'll t- kind of tell you when an event is happening and you can go there and capture whatever the event is happening with your smartphone. Um, yeah, uh, it was kind of weird. Now, I had a question. Now, so whenever like Apple or Google or whatever puts on an event like this, there's an audience. Were the guys, did these guys
0: just talking to an empty room? Because that's what it seemed like to me. I'm not sure. That's a really good point, actually. I, I kind of was wondering that myself while I was watching it, because like this definitely occurred in uh, like some kind of auditorium, I guess, like the the setup or some place where the people could uh, gather. But I'm not quite sure if that's actually what happened. If they were playing to an empty room and the internet was their audience, I did not hear a peep. Nothing.
1: Like not even a cheer for like when he mentioned Blink One Eighty Two. Nothing. It was just nothing. Yeah. It it was just them talking out into the ether and hoping that people were watching. I think it said like 52,000 people watched, you included. Um, yeah, it w- something I did find interesting is that apparently Tom got to go to Skunk Works, and that is sort of pretty cool, because Skunk Works is a real thing. Um, they're the ones that developed the um, uh, the SR-71. Is, that, is it the SR-71? I was yeah. getting it wrong. The Blackbird, yeah. right? Um, and um, I'm reading about them, actually, and I'm still reading that... Uh, That Area 51 book you gave me. Um, And actually some of the stuff he mentioned, uh, like Watertown, is something I was reading in the Area 51 book when that uh, U-2 uh, pilot got shot down in Russia and he was talking about Watertown. It was kind of interesting to see
0: those two worlds come together with this bizarre event sort of bringing things back for a second though i feel like some of these disclosure groups are not unlike a cult right so the idea that they both share several of the same tenets right so there's that dogmatic charismatic figure at the top there's always the promise of more of better a doctrine to abide by oh and hey by the way we kind of need money of course
1: and um if you want another um there's that uh jason colavito article that was great but there's also a kevin randall article he wrote on his on his blog and uh he really calls it like it is. I mean, we, you and I don't agree with Kevin Randall all the time, but um, if we had uh, to put him on the, the double density scale of ufology,
0: uh, where do you feel he would fall? Definitely between a one and a two, I think he like he believes, but he's not sort of uh, blind to the realistic aspects of some of the stories that he has um, told, been a part of, or, you know, has recounted in his books. I definitely think that like he's more of a a believable type of character um, that doesn't go out of his way to say that lizard people are amongst us.
1: He also will uh, and has uh, gone back and changed his tune on certain things when evidence presents itself to that he it was his previous beliefs were proven wrong so when a ufologist does that you can kind of trust them I, i like seeing that the worst are the ones that are dogmatic about things and will never change their mind and that's when you know you can't really um trust
0: what their what their beliefs are unfortunately For sure. And I think an interesting facet of the Kevin Randall article is he actually points out that a lot of the research, quote unquote, that they're planning undertaking is already publicly available through different databases and the like. So it's not like they're this to the stars group is unveiling anything brand new as of yet. They're just sifting through the uh, garbage out there that exists and seeing if they can, you know, um, polish anything off and claim it as their own. Yeah, exactly.
1: There's on on different forums. There's been a lot of lively action about this uh, on the Paracrest forums. I, I was uh, slightly involved with some of the the commentary on this, and pretty much no one is into this. They're all calling it out for what it is, and it's seemingly uh, in in like I said, Greer territory because um, they are really sort of trying to make some money off of this maybe they'll come up with something. I don't know. I can't tell if Tom DeLong is dis- sincere or not. I really can't.
0: I definitely do think that he's sincere in his idea that he is going to discover something. I do think that he has overpromised, even from initially, right? And that kind of doesn't gain you any goodwill, right? If you're straight out of the gate saying that we're going to do something that's never been done before, that's revolutionary, you know, we're going to bring this to the masses and then suddenly it's just five white dudes on a stage not being able to prove anything, you know, um, and hasn't changed anything from the beginning. Uh, To the end of their presentation like nothing was presented that you know had that ah shucks moment that you know makes time stop or something right so I definitely do think that like there is uh, a lot of work to be done if they are willing to sort of try to gain the goodwill of the UFO community and i think like the thing too that we have to remember is that you and i we're not immune to this we you know we also sort of in a weird way kind of profit from a lot of this too right so we have a podcast whose aim is partially to look at these phenomena even if we are sort of um either mocking or uh disproving what we do believe we still tend to talk about it we partially seek um, some level of fame on the backs of people of the true believers right but unlike those involved in the deceptive practices of running a business through the guise of a dogmatic approach to ufology we also uh do a complete 180 and, and mock them so i think it's a different tactic but we i think that we kind of have a little bit of the same result and that we you know selfishly we want a bit of that spotlight too
1: yeah and and but the thing is is that we kind of lean towards people that are are a lot more trustworthy I mean, our one guest we've had on is a complete expert on this stuff, and he definitely uh, believes that there's something going on, and we tend to agree with him. And um, But the way Rob looks at this stuff and the way he he approaches it is a much better fit to the way we look at this and, and a much more honest view of things. He's uh, more thorough and less showy about things like this is all showy stuff it it really reminds me of like um i mentioned the Greer one but also that roswell slides debacle um where all right like like you know they we never get answers it's always they always have this this sort of Amazing evidence, but it always turns out to be garbage. Even the, like, they keep talking about pictures and stuff. He mentioned it a few times, and when
0: they did show a picture, it was the one from, it was just a blob from the Nibbits thing, right? Yeah, it was, and it's one that's been publicly available for a long time, so it's not like it's this brand new thing that they pulled out of nowhere. Completely useless. A huge waste of time for everyone that was interested and
1: thought this was going to do something. Um, Nothing new was presented and I don't think anything new is going to be presented other than maybe some new fiction works and some <laughs> pie in the sky, like non fiction stuff. I mean, a, a brand new drawing of an anti grav machine. Oh, God. Uh, it, like, does he really think that he can build that with this ragtag group of crazy white guys? Like,
0: and that's all it is. It was like five old white guys on yeah, the stage. Yeah, absolutely. And other people have raised way more money to do the same sort of thing and have come up short, right? So, I mean, like, while I sort of um, applaud his initiative, I mean, the end of his presentation was all about giving them money to do more stuff, and it was just invest with us, right? So that was the closing thing is to... um, ask your audience for money to continue this. And I don't think that's like a very good resounding closing statement to make. With that being said, if you want to donate to the double (laughs) density podcast, you can sure go ahead. We accept all forms of currency, including Bitcoin. So (laughs) we don't, but
1: like the (laughs) thing is, is that like, if somebody like, um, I was going to say Bam Bam Bigelow, uh, like Robert Bigelow can't like build an anti-grav machine and he's got billions, what is like, what is a company that's like tr- aiming to make like $700,000 in a year going to do at this point?
0: I mean, if anything, this is kind of the backdoor way that Tom Delong gets his media empire out there right through the backs of the idea of um, scientific research and progress, right? If anything, I think we will see a lot more in terms of um, scripted series, in terms of movies, in terms of things like that, like, you know, uh, we were talking to Rob on Twitter this week about the idea that Tom is launching a reality show surrounding this. Right. So, you know, that kind of points the direction that they're going to take. Right. So the idea is that like, great, they took this whole, um, sort of thing public, but the next steps what do they look like? Right. And it, it's quickly becoming apparent that it's just, it's a way in which, um, new, uh, pieces of media get released and, uh, you know, how to create the next steps towards that. Yeah. I, uh, so
1: as, as I finished watching the event, um, I the last thing I wrote down was that I can safely say this is going to lead to nothing in terms of disclosure or UFOs yeah, or any revelations absolutely. about what people see. Uh, again, I still think uh, because of lack of evidence, it's mostly just unidentified uh, prosaic things. Like it's nothing... Um, alien that's for sure at least right now that's all i can say because that's what i've seen but i'm sure there's somebody out there that eventually will prove me wrong and i'm hoping because i i when like i the people that say they've seen things are completely sincere and are i don't think they're lying um there's a lot of cases out there i don't like the uh, going back to the, the the mojave incident those people i don't think they were lying I think something happened to them. I want to know what, but we, we don't know. Right now, the answer is we don't know. Uh, Tom DeLonge seems pretty confident it's aliens. He's pretty confident that they're going to be able to create these anti-grav things with the special technology
0: that they're going to get from these secret machines. But really, we don't know anything at this point. And I think that's a good point. And, uh, and we definitely do not know, nor do they. And I don't think that anything new is going to come out of this. I do think, unfortunately, it's going to be a sort of uh, like ships passing the night. We nod at Tom's Endeavor and sort of uh, carry on the double density uh, mission of discussing things like this. So this has been episode 26 of the Double Density Podcast. Tune in next week as we learn who is the true Atari 2600 Pong champ. See you, Angelo. Bye, Brian. See ya. Bye.
1: Why is my phone ringing? We just said nobody calls me. It's a one eight six six number. Wow. Okay, I'm I'm in the I'm in the middle of something. Unfortunately, I can't uh, I can't talk. That was a lot of talking. Wow. Wow 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 that was a lot of talking wow 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 you're gonna keep that